Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Zandi, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics, and I'm joined today by three of my colleagues, my two co-hosts, Chris Dorides. Chris is the Deputy Chief Economist. I can see him smiling there in his office. And Ryan, Ryan Sweet, Director of Real-Time uh, Economics. Uh, Ryan you know, never really smiles, but uh, no, even there. I frown. always smile. I see a frown. Okay. It's not a frown. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got uh, Damien, Damien Moore. Damien, this is a, a colleague of ours at uh, Moody's Analytics. Uh, Damien, this is your first time on this podcast. Welcome. Hey, Mark. Thanks for inviting me. And hi, everyone. And everyone can tell you have a accent, an Aussie accent. Where from Australia are you from? So I grew up in the capital city, Canberra. So I did all my education and undergraduate education in Canberra. I moved to Sydney for about five years in part while I was doing my graduate studies in the U.S. and I studied at Northwestern in the U.S. So then I've been back and forth to the U.S. and Australia ever, ever since. Oh, uh, you know, there's this uh, spy TV series. I can't, it was Netflix or uh, c- centered in Canberra. Have you seen this? The, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen no? it. So I'll have oh. to check it out. Yeah, it's, it's uh, kind of uh, the dynamics between Australia and China and Russia and U.S. mixed in there as well. But it's, you know, these kind of the, the the, uh, the vexed relationship uh, that the, the spy the spy community has I think uh, with with each other yeah but it's that, very interesting times right now Camper is really a, a beautiful place I, I yeah, I've never been but it you know judging by the TV series it looks it looks great there's it's a great and, it's yeah. great if you like to exercise because there's bike paths everywhere it's like it's a planned city and it was originally planned for a lot of foot uh, traffic. So you can jump on a bike and ride pretty much anywhere. And it's a big sprawling city too. Like it doesn't have a really built up central business di- district or anything. So it's great for exercise. And the weather? weather good? It's or? it's definitely a little cooler than Sydney. It's, it's inland. So you don't oh. have the uh, the temperate effect of the, the ocean and so on. It's a little further south than Sydney too. So, mm. But it's nice pretty much year round. It's a little cooler in the wintertime. But you get the four seasons. Much more than you do further north. Yeah, very nice. And you, so you went to Northwestern. Is that where you got your PhD in Northwestern? Yeah, it is. Oh, it okay. is. You, it, was a, it, was a lot, it was an extended thing because I took an academic job in Australia for a while during that process. So then I was kind of back and forth to the US and, and back to my job at, at Sydney while I was teaching. And you, uh, were you in financial, you're in a financial economist. Yeah, so I was in a business school when I was teaching. I taught in a finance department and taught sort of the standard financial stream courses, corporate finance, investment theory, options pricing type stuff. Right. And, so, and then how'd you find your way to, the, the way we met a long time ago now was you were at the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, the, the uh, nonpartisan group that uh, does the budgeting for the U.S., how did you get there? That's right. Well, I always had an interest in policy. I'd actually done some time at a um, consulting shop in Australia, in, in Canberra, which who did a lot of the budget estimates. So I had some familiarity with that type of work. And then my dissertation advisor, Debbie Lucas, had worked with CBO oh. on and off. I didn't know Debbie was your... I, I guess I knew that and I forgot that. That's Oh, I see. That's right. So she was yeah. chief economist for, at, CBO, at CBO for a, for a while and then left. And then she, I told her I was sort of interested in getting out of academia. And she said, well, you should look at this policy shop because it's, it's a great place to work. And so I interviewed with them and it went well and spent 10 years with them, more than 10 yeah. years. Yeah. And, well, Debbie is uh, the godfather of, I guess that's 
okay to say, the godfather of fair value accounting, isn't she? That's right. That's Are right. You a disciple of the fair value accounting method? In part, in part. Yeah, I can't. I, Probably know, a large part. <laughs> I, one of these days, I, I got to tell you my theory on fair value and how to improve it. I'm curious. Maybe I've already told you this and you kind of looked at me. That Have you noticed, guys, Damien never disagrees with you. He just kind of looks at you and doesn't say anything and then looks away. Is that that's the, kind of the way he handles it? Have you noticed? That's when you know you're wrong. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm an agreeable person as a rule. Polite, so it's, yeah. it's hard for me to openly dismiss an opinion. Well, since we're on TV series, have you guys watched? Uh, and I'm not saying I like this all that much, but in every once in a while, The Witcher. Have you seen The Witcher? Mm-mm. Nope. It's a it's a little too fairy taleish for me. But The Witcher, you remind me a little bit of The Witcher. You know, The Witcher just kind of. He just—he doesn't say very much, and he kind of grunts, uh, you know. <laughs> you know kind of, kind of, uh, the by the way, that that that's a compliment. If you you want to be the Witcher, yeah. Okay, he's, he's all right. Good, well, good to hear because I haven't seen that yeah, show. But. Very smart, and he he kills all the monsters, so that's all good, you know. So, uh, <laughs> so and then you joined us how long ago now? Has it been? It's since? coming up for five years. Unbelievably, no it's gone pretty quick. No way. Oh, that's amazing. And I know your youngest is five, right? It's got to be five, right? Because I remember uh, you're turning five. five this year. So he's four. He, oh, he's four. Okay. He, he yeah. turned four back in November. So, yeah. Oh, that's right. Okay. Very yeah. He boy. came during my first year and he came early. I remember that. He came a little hair raising for everybody. And all of a sudden, you were kind of in a difficult time, but uh, it all worked out. That's good. That's, that's right. Yeah, very good. Well, we're just thrilled to have you here on Inside Economics. I know we, I've been trying to get you on for a while, but you've been resistant, but you're, you're here. That's yeah, because you have me doing lots of other things, and I juggle a lot of responsibility that for, is true. for our that market is true. risk clients. That, that is true. Absolutely. You're a busy guy. I yep. appreciate you taking the time out. Hey, um, we're going to do a few things here. One is we're going to talk about, well, the statistic of the week is the consumer price inflation. It feels like you know hair on fire. we got to talk about that. Then we're going to go into our statistics game, uh, and I'm, I'm guessing a lot of that's going to revolve around this, this consumer price index as well. But who knows? Uh, Damien's definitely going to try to trip us up here on the on the game, mm-hmm. and everyone knows the game, right? Each of us come up with a statistic. The rest of the group tries to figure that out. The statistic uh, can't be too hard, too easy. Got to be related to, to the topic of the day, uh, and come out the, in the past week. Although. For for the guests, they don't need to stick to that religiously. We we Ryan has to follow those rules. Mm-hmm. Everyone else can kind of you know <laughs> you know do what they want. Uh, and then uh, we're going to talk about interest rates, and that's uh, wow. Do we have a lot to talk about there? Uh, I mean, just looking at that ten-year Treasury yield over two percent. That's uh, something to talk about. So that's the game plan. Uh, so let's uh, dive right in. Hey, Ryan, uh, give us the lay of the land uh, on the uh, cons- well, whatever you think is important. But I'm guessing it's the Consumer Price Index. It is. So the Consumer Price Index for January came out this week, and it increased a lot more than uh, economists were anticipating. So the consensus was for a. Uh, or tenth of a percent increase month over month. So December to January came in at six tenths. That raised the year over year growth from 7% to 7.5%. And that's what's getting a lot of the attention in the press. But uh, when you dig through it, you know price pressures are, are broadening. The only uh, components that fell in January were energy related. And that's temporary because energy, energy prices have moved back up in February. So we should see energy add to uh, 
inflation uh, over the next couple of months. But if you strip out volatile food and energy prices, so the so-called core CPI, uh, that was still up 6% year over year, which is you know the highest since the early 1980s. So that's garnering a ton of attention. So Mark, I knew you would want me to update this. So remember the average uh, uh, increase in uh, household expenditures with inflation at 7.5% versus 2%? Yeah. $276 per month now. So there are real economic costs to uh, inflation. Well, that's good to know you got to 276 because I got exactly to 276, but I rounded to 275. So you got to go 270. Got to be precision. 276. Okay. All right. Yeah. So that's the typical American household. That's the household making, let's say, the median income, which is probably close to uh, 70K, 65, 70K is now spending $275 more a month <clears throat> to buy the same goods and services that they were buying a year ago. Correct. So that's a lot, you know, to think about yeah. that for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it adds up quickly. And that's why I mean, we saw Michigan consumer confidence came out this morning. That dropped a lot. That's some of it. If you look at the details is inflation. The other parts, interest rates. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, you were a bit surprised by mm-hmm. the CPI. You had expected, and you're really good at this, you, you, know, you know, you put expectations together, four tenths of a percent month to month increase mm-hmm. in CPI, consumer price index, and a 7.3% year over year, or was it 7.4? Yeah, something like that. I mean, you know, I mean, we're, I think we're stretching this a little bit, but I'm just curious, what in the report came in more hot than you expected at higher rates of inflation than you expected? And in the, in the, when you go into the you know, specific goods and services. Yeah, so, so I thought you're going to get a lot of weakness in uh, some of the services that were tied to uh, the pandemic. So airfares, for example, I thought they were going to drop, they increased. Lodging away from home wasn't as weak as I, th- I was expecting. So it doesn't seem like the Omicron variant was uh, as disinflationary as you know the Delta wave was on some of these you know components of the CPI. And then the other thing is amateur mistake. I used last... The, I didn't use the updated uh, weights. So if you did that, I would have been a little bit closer. Still wouldn't have gotten six tenths, but it would have been closer. Just just to bring folks up to speed, so Bureau of Labor Statistics, the agency that puts the data together, uh, every year, I guess, or is it every two years? Updates, every two years. Every two years. Updates the uh, weights that they attach to each of the individual components of the CPI for all the various goods and uh, services. And those weights are uh, determined by consumer spending patterns. So if I am spending more on, uh, you know, a car or a, a, a consumer electronic or, or going out to a restaurant, it gets a higher weight. And, and something else has to reduce, uh, reduce because it adds up to 100%. Mm-hmm. And with the January 2022 CPI report that came out uh, yesterday on Thursday, uh, the BLS updated the weights using 2019 and 2020 average consumer spending patterns. That, and that's what right. you're referring to. And the reason that had an impact was because that, that includes the pandemic, 2020, and we spent a lot more on stuff, goods, a lot less on services. And of course, goods prices are rising a lot faster than services. And so mm-hmm. it causes this measurement change. You know, and that's what you're referring to. You do. And exactly. by my calculation, that was a couple worth a couple tenths of a percent on year over year CPI. So that it, it, that could simply be the difference, right? Between the seven, it is a difference. Right. I was thinking, right. yeah. yeah, I had seven, three, add those two tenths in, you get seven, five, which would be 
is what we got. Yeah. I should say, uh, right here's a good place to say it. Uh, we are going to record what, I, what we're going to call a mini podcast uh, or a data deep dive. And it's going to be 10, 15, 20 minutes where we're going to go deep into the bowels of a report. Mm -hmm. And the first one's going to be on the CPI. So we'll probably go over this again when we do that mini podcast that we'll post tonight along with the podcast that we're recording right now. So this is an experiment. I'm really curious what people think. If they find it. it's really, really wonky. I, Damien, you'll love this. Uh, you know, I know you'll love it. Sounds good. I hope there's video. There's definitely video. <laughs> oh, there's, there's always definitely video. video. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I guess we got to change our, our, you know, what we're wearing for the deep dive. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. no we're, we're good as we are. We're good. Okay. okay. Um, you want some charts, Damien? What, what do you mean? You just want to no, see Oh, if we're going to talk numbers, we've got we to have some tables, right? Oh, that's oh. a good idea. He's got, a, he's got a point. Well, maybe we, we'll, we'll whip that up. We'll whip up a couple of Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll well, maybe, maybe you yeah. give a link. Give a, oh, give a link. Check it out still a podcast, right? though. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. We, we should have him more often. He's like a fountain of ideas. You notice this? Yeah, yeah and I have, this, I have a feeling all these ideas are going to end up on my plate. Well, I'm not right <laughs> flat, that's yeah. where they belong. Yeah. That's, that is actually a pretty good point. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's right. Hey, Ryan, can you can you help us out with that? Yeah, let's get some tables. Yeah. Hey, put some tables together. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're good at that. Okay, no, uh, no, promise not to. I won't do that. No. Uh, but I think so we're um, one last thing on the CPI. I think yeah. we're at the peak. If it doesn't peak in February, or that wasn't seven and a half, wasn't the peak in January, February will be the worst. Well, uh, the worst of it. It's Even great. with energy. Yeah, I was going to ask oh, about no? that. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm thinking February. Like initially, we we're thinking January was going to be the peak. I think February is the peak, and then after that, you know, we'll be on the downside. And by the way, I say I say that we've already peaked. That this year-over-year -year stuff is very misleading. No, oh, it is. Because yeah, it's there's base effects. I mean, last year this time we were coming out of the pen, the dip depths of the pandemic. Businesses were still slashing prices. Inflation was incredibly low, close to one percent. So you get these year-over-year, -year, what economists call base effects, which, by the way, is going to be working in the opposite direction a year from now, pushing down measured inflation. So, you know, in this kind of, when people are trying to gauge, are we, you know, kind of moving in the right direction here on inflation, we should be looking at month-to-month, -month, I think, changes in inflation. Mm -hmm. And that actually peaked back in October, uh, you know, uh, and that was in the depths of the, the Delta wave of the virus. And that goes to my my narrative. I'm curious what you guys think. But my sense is that the uh, that the uh, acceleration in inflation that we've observed in the last you know several months, the last six months or so, where it's gotten uncomfortably high, you know, this is top of mind high, is related to the supply side disruptions to the economy due to primarily the Delta wave of the pandemic. When that happened back in the summer and fall last year, it completely upended global supply chains because that creamed Asia, Southeast Asia, where all the supply chains began. And it really disrupted labor markets, again, because people got sick or had to take care of sick people or were fearful of getting sick. So that created all these labor shortages, caused wage growth to accelerate, particularly for low-wage workers in industries that had gotten directly hit by the pandemic. Think restaurants or leisure hospitality, recreational activities, that kind of thing. And also just scrambled demand and supply dynamics in other markets like the oil market and the, uh, in the uh, natural gas markets. And that's what's behind the current very high inflation. And as if you buy into the idea that 
the pandemic is going to wind down going forward, that is each new wave of the virus, and we'll probably see more waves, is less disruptive than the previous wave to the economy, to the healthcare system, that we'll see inflation moderate. Not not quickly, because ironing out these supply chains and labor market and uh, dynamics are, you know, or it's going to take some time because it's a mess out there. And other things are kind of adding to the mess. Think, you know, the Canadian truckers, you know, stopping uh, stuff coming over the Ambassador Bridge. Uh, but uh, but as a, as the pandemic fades, inflation will fade. That is the core to our, at least my thinking about where we're headed on, on future inflation. Anyone, what, what do you think of that narrative? And uh, anyone disagree with that or want to push back on that? Uh, no, I think the, the, the data supports that view. If you look at U.S. manufacturing surveys, they have a, a component called a supplier delivery index. So when that is increasing, that indicates slower deliveries. Uh, so all of them are, are improving. They're heading in the right direction. And we maintain this U.S. supply chain stress index, which basically just takes a bunch of indicators that are related to supply chain. So shipping costs, uh, you know, uh, commodity prices, you know, match them up, make an index out of it. And that's coming down. We do the same thing for APAC, uh, Asia Pacific, and that's improving as well. So you know, I may or may not have another number for you that supports your view. Yep. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Uh, Chris, any yeah. anything we wanted to say on that? I would say in broad strokes, I'd agree in terms of the pandemic, but there are other oh, risks that are emerging, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Here, here comes the pushback. Go ahead. Fire away. The uh, energy, as we mentioned, you got Russia, Ukraine, you got some other risks, geopolitical risks out there that are building. I think that that's going to cause energy prices to remain high for a while. So I don't see that being resolved quickly. And then I, I, more technically, the uh, I'm focused on rental prices, mm. right? Rents continue; they're going to continue to support inflation or drive inflation higher for a while. Um, so that maybe I I could buy in, yeah. If, if there's no other wave and the energy doesn't get too far out of whack, we could be at peak and things continue to to fall. But I think it'll be a, a slow, gradual decline versus something very uh, immediate. Yeah, those are good points about energy. Uh, in fact, we have a, just another, it seems like another advertisement, sorry, but we've got a podcast coming on Tuesday on the Ukraine-Russia uh, kerfuffle. I guess that's not even a uh, conflict, uh, you know, uh, we're going to be talking about that. Certainly, yeah. certainly about, uh, about what it means for energy markets and, and mm -hmm. prices. So uh, that's, that's coming on Tuesday. Um, and I, I hear you on rent growth. That's, Clearly, it's going to be an issue for a while, given the uh, the uh, very severe shortage of housing, which is just juicing up rents. Hey, Damien, any anything you want to add on that? Any any pushback on kind of our, I guess, generally sanguine view on inflation? Maybe more of a question is: Do you think the latest, like the month over month, is that roughly in line with where you're thinking it would come out, or is it a little higher, a little lower? I yeah, like, I, is it I giving you a sense that the price pressures will come off sooner than you might have thought, or take longer? Well, no, I'd say the uh, like Ryan, I was a bit surprised by the six tenths of a percent right. increase month to month in January. I thought it would be, you know, I think it was four or five tenths of a percent. I was, but I do think part of that is that measurement issue. I mean, who you know. It's two tenths of a percent year over year, so that's a you know a bit of an ad every month along the way. So and it probably had more of an impact on January, but I was 
I'd call out the one thing that I was surprised by, and you know, an ex post, I probably shouldn't have been, but I, I was, uh, uh, I was surprised was the big increase in electricity prices, which you know totally makes sense, right? Because you know, uh, electric utilities are facing higher input costs, higher natural gas prices, and not a lot of oil fired, you know, electricity, but you know, it adds to the pressures. And we saw a really large increase in electricity prices. That also, was, weather. Oh, you think? Oh, I didn't. Oh, yeah, weather can factor right. into weather, that. Weather, yep. you're right. You're probably weather too. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. So that surprised me a little bit. So I, I explained the gap between what I expected. So my thinking about where inflation headed, has he, is headed as a result of that January report has not changed. You know, but you know, when you say when I say that, you know, when you're in the when you're forecasting and you're thinking you're at an inflection point for anything. It's really tough, right? Because you're in the middle of the data and the data is screaming something and you're saying, no, it's going to change. But, you know, it just makes you uncomfortable and makes you less confident in what you're saying. So I'd have to say I'm less confident, but I'd say that's just a natural state of affairs when you're at an inflection point for something you're thinking is going to turn, you know, like, mm -hmm. uh, like, uh, uh, like inflation. Yeah, that I hear sense. that. I hear yeah. that, definitely. Yeah. And yeah, what about it, it, wage pressures? You think that wage presses, pressures won't start to kick in and push inflation further? Well, I'm, I'd say in, I, I'm worried about it. But I say my baseline view, this goes back to the disruptions to the labor market related to the pandemic. As the pandemic fades and people get back to work, particularly in those industries where wages have really gotten juiced, you know, it's all uh, – in the leisure, hospitality, restaurant, recreational activity, healthcare, education. You know, these are where, you know, uh, people uh, have not gone to work because they're on the front lines. I mean, they're the one, those are the folks that are, you know, interfacing with, they're not you and I sitting in our, you know, uh, office in our home and not being exposed They're but they're exposed every day. So as that settles in, I expect that wage growth to decelerate. And if you look at the Atlanta, data, the Fed wage tracker data, which is, in my view, among the best wage data we have, the acceleration of wages has really been in the bottom half of the wage distribution for young workers, for, um, you know, workers that are less educated in those industries. So as the pandemic fades, I expect that wage growth to moderate. But having said all of that, that's definitely a worry that, you know, the longer inflation remains high and persistent, and particularly those gasoline prices, because that, you know, we can see that really affects people's thinking. And they're, I'm sure they're going back to their boss and saying, hey, you've got to pay me more because I just filled my gas tank for 50 bucks. And if you want me to come to your off, come to work, you know, you got to pay me more. So the longer that sticks around, the, the more I worry that, you know, wages start and prices start to, you know, feed on each other. And then that's a whole different world of hurt. So we're not there yet, but I worry about that for sure. Yeah, that's okay. my main worry. I that's think. your main worry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, okay, uh, let's uh, a lot there. Let's uh, we can keep going, and we we'll probably will when we come back to talk about interest rates. But uh, let's go to the game. Uh, let's go to uh, Chris. Chris, let's go to you first. Uh, what's your statistic uh, this week? All right, we're gonna have some fun. Oh, uh, Twelve point two percent and two point eight percent. Twelve point two percent and two. 0.8%. Okay. Does it have to so, do with the CPI report? Yes, it does. Okay. Uh, is it uh, year over year inflation for certain components of the CPI? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, 
Okay, so he's got to be clever here in some way that, you know, he can't pick some wacko, esoteric, down into the bowels. Uh, okay, would, this, would the 12.2 and the 2.8 kind of define certain points in the distribution of price growth across goods and services? Boy, that's a mouthful. Oh. You understand what I'm saying, though? Uh, kind of, sort of. Did you go coffee again? I did not go coffee, but 9.3%. What the heck? What the heck? What? Uh, you get some, food? some food price. Okay. He's being clever. He's being clever. Yes, it's got to be clever. It is two food prices. Oh, it is two food prices. And, and oh, meats. So, is it meats? Meats is one, 12.2%. Right. Hot dogs. Nope. Because <laughs> <laughs> you have kids at home, right? Do you guys, when I was a kid, Oh. I'm telling Here you, this go. is true. This is a Here true story. <laughs> when I was a kid, there were, you know, I have, I have three brothers and a sister. I, I'm in a big family. And my dad made a good living, but, you know, he wasn't a wealthy guy. And, he, he, and uh, he, you know, he get paid, I think, once a month. And then by the end of the month, we're running out of money. And the reason I know that is because I'm having hot dogs, you know, four days out of the last week. I'm having hot dogs. <laughs> by the way, I love hot dogs. I, I hot dogs are the best. They're the best. They are the best. Oh, uh, but we're not talking hot dog. Okay. What are we talking Absolutely. about? Okay. Damien, do you know what he's talking about? What food is 12.8% food item is up? 2.8. 2.8. Oh, 2.8. Oh, 12.2 and 2.2 is meat. Wine? Yeah. Ice cream. No. <laughs> no. No, because I heard I ice cream. I was trying to be clever. <laughs> yeah, no, he's trying not to just clever. some random part. <laughs> it's something in Wawa. Think Wawa. It's like, nope, buy these not two water. things. Do you, huh? do you give up? Yeah, I give up. Because <laughs> no, we went wait, wine. That's not, we went coffee. Wine? What are you talking about, wine? Chris. Oh, yeah. Is it like his, wine yeah. is close. Wine is a good one. Because oh, alcohol beverages were 2.7. Was that what you meant? But that was nope. 2.7. Nope. Oh, I said 2.8. Are you going early Valentine's Day? Are you going chocolate? Uh, no, I think you're way off. Uh, oh, oh that, that would have been good, though. <laughs> that would have been good. good. That is a good one. Yeah, is Damien, chocolate a category here? I don't think they no, might. What, what, what about produce? Like fruit and vegetables. Oh, there you go. There you go. Hold, hold on, wait, wait, wait. He what got it. I think there's a, a cowbell. No, wait. Uh, hold, hold on. What? <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm way behind what is here. That? What, the, what is that? What are produce, you talking about? Vegetables? Who? Fresh vegetables. Oh, fresh vegetables. I uh, produce. I didn't, I didn't hear Damien say that. I, oh, I thought he said pierogies. I thought it's what I said too. Really? Uh, yeah. He said pierogies. My headset you got to be tuned into the accent. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, you said vegetables. Yes. Oh, I thought he said pierogies. I thought it was some Italian thing. Right? Yeah, I have no. <laughs> what? Pierogies? <laughs> my wife is vegetarian and she, she hasn't been complaining about the price of anything so far, but the bill's been somewhat expensive lately. Nonetheless. That's, that's exactly the point. Right. See, like, so see if there was ever a time to be a vegetarian, um, what was I saying? What was I thinking? Oh, we're still, we got to get the high price, the 12 point something. That was meats. That was meats. Oh, <laughs> hold it. Just, uh, just generic it. meats. <laughs> Catch up here. <laughs> it's meats, hold poultry, it. and eggs if you yeah. want the, the full oh. category. I, yeah, geez. I thought, see, here's my problem. I thought he was going to be a lot cle more clever than that. Didn't you, Ryan? Didn't yeah. I mean, I thought it was some generic vegetable and some generic yeah. meat. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. All right. If you want one for the Super Bowl, eleven point six percent. Wings, chicken. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Chicken. Frozen Cowbell. chicken parts. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this. Yeah, it's a wing shortage. I know. Why? Do we know? I don't know. Oh. All right. Probably okay. something to do with processing. 
Yeah. Probably. Anyway, we're having too much fun. I am. There you go. Yeah. I, I don't know why I'm having so much fun. Uh, okay. <sighs> All right. Uh, Damon. Hey, Damon, do you want to play this game? Yeah, sure. I can have a, have a shot. It's going to be a little, little specialized because financial markets guys. So you can kind of maybe pick the genre. It's, it's vaguely inflate. It's going to be inflation related, of course, and related to the oh. main topic. Oh, here we go. Swap so, curves. Yeah, so that's what go, I thought. That's yeah. My mind when immediately let, went immediately. Let's there. go real time. Okay. And real so time. It's a oh, he's looking at his screen, by the way. Real time. <laughs> of, he says real time. He's now. looking at his screen. Yeah. So as of 11 a.m. on Friday. Uh, 63.7% <laughs> as of right now. Is that the probability of a Fed rate hike in February? No. No. Uh, 50 basis points in 50 March. 50 basis point hike in March. Right? Correct. Correct. Nailed yeah. it. Nailed it. Oh, that is embarrassing. I'd have to say for Ryan, that's like, <laughs> totally embarrassing. Are you using yeah. Fed? That's no, 100% Feb? in March. No, no. 50, 50 basis, basis points? point hike in March. It's 100%? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. Ryan's correct. It's 100% of any, any increase. Any but increase, it's, right. Oh, oh. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what you're saying. Right, right, right. <laughs> Thirty-six yeah. percent of a twenty-five to fifty basis point increase, and sixty-three point seven percent of a fifty. Sorry, it's the, the I'm talking about the range, the twenty-five to fifty basis point range versus a sixty-three point seven percent chance of a fifty to seventy-five basis point increase. Yeah. Now these same numbers yesterday, the market said ninety-three point eight percent of a fifty to seventy-five range. And then a month ago, they said 4.8%. So things have moved a lot. Yeah. Yeah, they got whipsawed by Bullard. Yeah. Bullard, That's all good. What, what does Damien Moore say, though? That's what it, mm-hmm. I, I want to know. Uh, In the short Damian term, I agree with the market. I always, short term, I always agree with the market. So we're looking out uh, maybe out to a quarter. I think the market indicators are great for predicting, just aggregating all the information that's out there and, and sort of coming up with a good, clean forecast signal. Do you think they're going to go 50 or 25 in March? Sitting here today, based on what you... I'm going to say 50. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm. What, do you th- what do you think, Chris? I'm sticking with 25. 25, yeah. I think 50 is a panic signal. That is a panic signal. Do you Unless... agree with that, Ryan? Yeah, I'd say 25. Yeah. So Marcus got whipped by St. Louis Fed President Fuller yesterday said that the Fed should go 50 in March. Or do an intermediate intermediate yeah. rate hike, which is they only do that in crisis. I mean, yeah, it's the opposite. They're easy. Yeah, the only um, time that happens. Last time was pandemic, right when it hit. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But then you had other regional Fed presidents come out today, uh, saying that you no, know, we can go twenty five in March. So unless Powell's buying into the fifty argument, they're going twenty five. What do you think, Mark? Well, I I think uh, I think twenty five. Um, Although I would be willing to have a nice debate about whether it should be 50. Uh, you know, my sense is that financial conditions remain too easy compared relative to current expectations the markets have with regard to future monetary policy. So markets are fully anticipating, at this point, four rate hikes, I think, right, this year. Is that, is that would you, would that, well, I looked at it, it was seven hikes fully priced in by January of next year. Seven rate hikes by January. Okay. So that's what is embedded in equity prices. That's what's embedded in in theory in you know credit spreads in the bond market. That's what's embedded in cap rates. Uh, 
for commercial real estate. And markets have not, they've reacted a little bit. I mean, stock prices may be down what? You know, six, seven, eight percent from their all time high at the beginning of the year. Credit spreads tell me if I'm wrong, but they haven't really risen all that much, have they? Uh, cap rates remain in the commercial real estate market remain incredibly low. And monetary policy affects the real economy, the economy, which is what they're trying to do here, you know, slow things up through financial conditions. And, and also adding to the mix, I don't sense any tightening in underwriting standards, right, in the banking system. I mean, if you go look at the senior loan officer survey from the mm -hmm. Federal Reserve that was released, I think, last week, it's a survey of uh, bank uh, credit officers. They, they say they're still easing, you know, policy for seeing commercial industrial loans and consumer loans and credit cards and everything else. <clears throat> so it, feel, it feels like to me that the Fed needs to really send a strong signal you know, to investors, hey, hey, guys, you know, we got to, you know, this, this is, we're moving rates a lot more quickly to get those asset markets to react, to tighten up financial conditions so that it actually has a, 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 an impact on the real economy. Well, the we Fed's go, still easing. They're still easing because quantitative easing is still going on. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. actually a good point. I mean, right now they're still buying bonds, a lot less bonds. This winding down is going to end yeah. next week or a couple of weeks, three weeks from now, but you're right. Yeah, so I, I say a quarter point. I mean, I think that's what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. But I would, you know, I if I were in that room, I'd be debating, you know, maybe we should go stronger and surprise markets, you know, guide them to a different place so that, you know, we get some tightening in financial conditions because they're not they're not tightening enough to get the kind of growth rates we need. I don't know. What do you th what do you think of that argument? Anybody? The rates have risen, though, right? <clears throat> Things are tight. Mortgage rates are rising. They're going to have an effect. There, there's some delay or lag, I would argue, but it's not. Yeah, as there are so there's been some tightening in conditions. Yeah. Right, the ten-year yield has gone from you know it was one thirty, one point three, one point four back a couple months ago. We're now two. Mortgage rates are up about the same. They were sub three percent for thirty-year fix. Are now three six five, three seven. So they're they're moving up. But and the two-year jumped just on the talk, right? Of yeah, potential. 50 basis yeah. point hike. So if the market's doing the work for the Fed. That's what I'm saying. Are they really <clears throat> doing the work? You know, I'm not sure. Are they doing enough they're work? Not doing enough work, you're saying. Yeah, enough. They're doing some. I'm a little I'm just I'm a little confused why we haven't seen more of a market reaction. I would expect stock prices to be off more than what we've seen. And I think you know, it goes to the a lot of liquidity out there, a lot of cash sitting in people's accounts and they you know are jumping in when prices go down. So I, I guess I just feel like the Fed's gonna have to give a stronger push, you know, to investors and say, hey, you know, this, you got, this isn't enough. We, we need to see more of a reaction here. But Ryan, do you think they can do anything on the QE side to tighten up more rapidly and, they, and that, that they would do anything at the next meeting? Well, quantitative easing is going to end in a few weeks, like Mark said. I mean, what they could do is start, uh, uh, letting the balance sheet run off. So you know, some of the treasuries or MBS on their balance sheet as they mature, just don't replace them. Right. And then their balance sheet would start to contract. They could do that, you know, a meeting, two meetings after the first rate hike. Do you think, I mean, we've kind of blended into the topic that we wanted to talk about mm -hmm. interest rates and we'll come back to the game, but since we're on the topic of monetary policy, uh, I've been starting to get some questions about, the so-called quantitative tightening, you know, QE is quantitative easing. I, they buy bonds to bring, to help bring down long, longer term interest rates. 
that's coming to an end. Then the question is, do they start quantitative tightening? And that means, you know, allowing their balance sheet, the, the securities they own that they bought, treasury securities, mortgage securities, to start to run off, you know, mature or prepay if they're in a mortgage security. Or, you know, if they really wanted to go into, you know, uh, you know extreme tightening mode, actually selling securities. That would that's be a panic. Move, so. That's a panic move. That's a panic move. Mm -hmm. But do you think just the going from QE to QT is that big a deal? I mean, in terms of what it means for interest rates in, in the markets? I mean, does that, is that a, is there something that, I've heard the questions that, you know, QT is unusual in some way and therefore is gonna be more disruptive. Do you, do you? No, we've done this before. We've done this before, right? Yeah, we've done it before. The only difference is this time, rates are gonna be moving higher at the same time that they're doing QT. Oh, so if you go back to 2013. They were paused. I think they were they paused were, for a while. They were still paused. Mm -hmm. Of course, Bernanke spooked markets when he started. The tapered tantrum. Linked yeah. the, he linked that to interest rate hikes, I guess. The QT to interest rate hikes. And that spooked markets. And that was now deemed to be a mistake. That he, that mm -hmm. he the way he managed that transition from quantitative easing to quantitative coming out of the financial crisis. But I think QT will move long-term rates. The term premium is still negative. And usually when the Fed's reducing its balance sheet, it's going to be positive. So the tenure can go even higher. Well, let's come back to that because there's because right. people don't understand. A lot of people wouldn't understand what you just said. So, But we want to flesh that out. But we'll come back to that. Uh, Do we know how much the runoff would be if they didn't replace treasuries or MBS? $100 billion a month. Hundred million, mm -hmm. hundred billion, and what's on? The, what are they? They have like nine trillion on the balance sheet right now, or don't they? Correct. Or something close to that, and in a normalized balance sheet, meaning you know where they would actually want it to see in the long run would be half that, really, right? Yeah, yeah, we won't get back down that far, but but that that's that that would be kind of the bogey, wouldn't it be? Mm -hmm. Like four and a half trillion or something like that. So, hundred billion a month. That's one point two trillion a year. That gives you a sense of how long it would take to get, you know, at least take four years, five years of that to get back to, um, you know, where they would want it, I think. Um, okay. Okay. Um, Ryan, what's your statistic? All right, I'll give you guys a choice. I have one that kind of up Damien's alley, or I have one that's related to the CPI. We can do both. Yeah. All right. I think, uh, I think this is, let's give Damien a win here. He needs a cowbell. He's never gotten a All cowbell right. as far as I know. Damien, you ready? I'm pretty quick on these things. So There's you got to move two fast. numbers. All right, go for it. All right, twelve percent and eight trillion, and they're related. Twelve percent, eight trillion, and this is to do. It, uh, it's tied to the markets. big topic, rising interest rates, but it's having an impact on this. Okay, twelve percent and eight trillion. All right, so for context, yeah, it was eighteen trillion at the end of twenty twenty. Oh, eight. 18 trillion at the end of 2020. This has something to do with their their emergency mm -mm. Uh, credit. Don't think facilities. Fed. Oh, don't think Fed. All right, I'll give you that came out this week. Uh, yes. yes. I, I think it's real time. Maybe comes yeah. out all the time. Yeah. Comes out. Okay. Keep calculating it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Damien, do you have any idea what he's talking about? Eight trillion and 12 percent public debt related. Oh, you're close. Not public debt. Uh, a lot of it's in Europe. Oh, in Europe. Mm -hmm. Where interest rates recently turned positive. 
these aren't like the outstanding covered bonds. Oh, amount of, well, huh? Yeah. I was going to say negative or debt with a negative interest rate. Yep. Oh, oh God, Chris. That's a, That's a good one, though, Chris. Yeah, Chris, definitely. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Oh, so the just market explain value. That then to everybody. Yep. So the that? market value of all bonds with negative yields, so that negative interest rate policy, yeah. uh, has dropped an enormous amount given the uh, increase in global interest rates. So now only $8 trillion uh, of bonds have a negative yield. What was it at its peak, roughly? Close to 20. I'm surprised it's still eight. Yeah. I saw German 10-year German buns are positive 20, 25 basis points, a quarter point, Mm -hmm. something like that, right? So you're still you're saying, oh, this is outstanding. These are outstanding. Outstanding, yep. Okay, okay, that makes more sense, right? Mm -hmm. Well, no, no. Oh, that's interesting. It's still eight trillion, and is that mostly in Europe, or is that Japanese debt, or you know, is yeah, it's, that, it's in those two areas. Most in those of those two areas. Wow, that. Is what really I was paying attention to is you know you are starting to see some movement in high yield U.S. corporate bond spreads, and now with you know that search for yield is kind of diminishing. So I wonder yeah. if you're going to see corporate bond spreads start to widen out. Well, so what's the twelve percent? Oh, that's the share of all uh, uh, value of all bonds outstanding. That's global non-sovereign debt. Twelve mm-hmm. percent of global non-government debt has, has a negative, negative interest rate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you're saying that's. Uh, I guess that must be down from like a third or something. Yeah, it's, it's down a lot. Down a lot. Interesting. Oh, that's a great one. That's a perfect one. So, what's your other one on the? Uh, you said you had another one on the CPI. All right, this one's easy. You should get this one. Three okay. percent. Three percent. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I know what that is. What is it? You take the CPI seven and a half. Mm-hmm. You x out the amount related to supply chain disruptions. Okay. That's two and a half, or something mm-hmm. like that. Then you take out the amount that's related to the mess in energy markets, supply demand imbalance. That's probably another two and a half. Two. So, Two, and so you go seven and a half minus two and a half minus two gets you three. Did Very I get good. That right? Yeah, you got it right. Okay. Excellent. Where's the cowbell. It's right here. Okay. <laughs> uh, oh, that's but okay. That's a really good thing for people to hear because mm-hmm. that is consistent with what we were saying about the outlook for inflation, right? Right. Right. So. Yeah. A big chunk of what we're of the seven and a half percent CPI inflation is directly related to the supply side disruptions to the economy, particularly for vehicles. And if you look at the month to month growth in new and used car prices, it's moderating. So I think that's another reason why we're going to see inflation start to decelerate. Well, that was a good one. Those were both really good ones. Okay, all right, I got one for you: sixty-one point seven percent. University Something in Michigan. Michigan. Um, yeah. You violated the first one. Yeah. That's, too yeah. easy. Too yeah, easy. University of Michigan. Okay. And I knew that was going to be easy. Therefore, that wasn't the end of what I was going to say. Oh, okay. Jump. Oh. You jumped the gun. You jumped the gun. <laughs> Not really fair. Yeah. When, when's the last time it was 61.7%? Oh, God. <laughs> I violated the second rule. That's too hard. <laughs> so we, but, did it get down there during the pandemic? It did not. That's okay. it's lower than it has been throughout the pandemic. Great recession. 
Yeah. But here, you know, and I was going to ask because I'm confused by it. it. There was a big drop in sentiment in uh, the summer of 2011, August of 2011. You know, obviously we were coming out of the financial crisis and there was still a lot of angst and uncertainty. Does anyone remember what happened there? Could, I mean, could have been a hurricane. Hot... Oh, maybe. Maybe that was it. Yeah. Let yeah, me, something let like me that. check. Was that yeah. the high gas price uh, summer? Oh, I think we did have higher gas prices then. Yeah, I, that that was might maybe played a bit of a role, but I didn't. Good. I don't think they spoke, spiked. Uh, you know, at that point, no. it was Here's the other thing. Here's another one. You ready? Uh, ninety-seven point one. Are we still in Umish? No. Are Related you though. Oh no! Did you go CNN back to normal index? That would have been a good oh. one, but no. Uh, that, <laughs> that was eighty-nine percent. That is floundering. Floundering. I, I've always wondered: is it floundering or foundering? Or is, can you floundering. say floundering? Floundering. Can you say foundering? In I, your, I don't think that's Aussie a word. Language. Can you say foundering? Maybe in yeah. Philly. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think you can say foundering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, then you're not uh, a fish. Then you're not. A, right. That's why floundering I always thought was related to a fish. Yeah, exactly. All right, you guys give up ninety seven point one. It came out this week. Indeed, it did. All right, it's I'm surprised. Yeah. Ah, okay. Not Yumish right. related. Yeah, related in the same genre of statistics. That's a big hit. Uh, NFIB. Oh, you oh NFIB. NFIB. Very good. Oh, yeah, NFIB, and that was yeah. down, and that's. Uh, not quite a new low in the pandemic. Uh, you know, there was one month in the teeth of the of the pandemic early on when we were lower. Uh, and that, that goes to a broader point, and that is sentiment is pretty weak. Uh, you know, I mentioned UMich, the University of Michigan survey, uh, the NFIB, that's the National Federation of Independent Small Business Survey. And then we have our own business survey, right, that we've been doing every week. And uh, it's 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 down a lot. It's, it's actually, we asked nine questions to the respondents, and then we created diffusion index, the percent of positive responses, less negative. And we were firmly positive, you know, for, you know, uh, from March of last year to, to basically last week, a couple of weeks ago, we are now negative again. So, uh, you know, people are nervous and it, I, uh, sentiment is uh, on edge. And that just shows you the, uh, the corrosive nature of high inflation. I mean, that really bugs people, you know, really makes them nervous. It's almost like that. I think they, people feel, and maybe they're, maybe they're right, they're just getting ripped off, right? Because they, they, I'm paying 275 bucks more a month now for the same stuff I was buying a year ago. How's that possible? You know, how's that possible? But that just goes to, to show you uh, how, how worried people are. Well, you missed oh. got the double, double whammy because it's really sensitive. The questions they ask to personal finances, and uh, yeah. the stock market's down. And gas prices are up, and that just is going to crush Umich. Just crush Umich, yeah, the University of Michigan. Um, okay. The one-year outlook for inflation was five percent, right? It was Umich. the yeah. one-year. So consumers yeah. are thinking this is that goes not back to gas add, prices, though. I, you know, again, you know, yeah. very, very tied to gasoline prices and food, and food prices and food. Yeah, yeah, very good. Okay, um, okay, that is the game. I actually had. Another pretty good one, but we're kind of getting short on time. Um, should I do the other one? No. Yeah. We'll, we'll move. Should I? Really? Yeah, we'll do it quick. Okay. This is, okay, I'll, I'll make it easy. Okay. It's a related to inflation. And mm -hmm. it, it, there's four parts. Each part is a little harder than the previous part. Okay. Damien, are you playing? 
I see you. You're looking away. I don't know. I, no, I'm listening. I'm just he's concentrating. Yeah, he's yeah, concentrating. yeah, yeah. It's my thinking. He, he's, thinking. He means playing world look. Thinking. Oh, seven percent. Oh, excuse me. Seven and a half percent. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's that? that Headline. CPI. Headline. Consumer price inflation year over year through uh, January. Six percent. That's core. 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 Mm -hmm. Five point four percent. Median. No, it's a good guess. Are you though. sure? Yeah. Oh, trimmed. That's trimmed. Trimmed. Okay, trimmed. Mm -hmm. So, so this is. I take off uh, the goods and services whose price increases were in the top eight percent of the distribution and the bottom eight percent of the distribution. That's called the trimmed mean, and that was five four. Because the, the thinking is, you know, you got some of these these outliers that month to month might screw up the underlying message in the data. So throw those out. So five point four, four and a quarter. Four and a quarter percent. Me median. 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 Very good. You know also, definitely just do you know what else was also four and a quarter? What? The sticky CPI. The sticky and that CPI. just looks at. Explain that one. Explain what that it, is. That uh, uh, looks at the CPI based on components that move, like price changes move slowly. So this is kind of like a persistent you know, uh, uh, inflation that's going to linger for a period of time. Yeah. And rent would be in there, for example. Correct. Just talking about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that gives you a sense of things. So. You know, obviously, things are all juiced, they're going to come in, but it does feel like kind of the underlying rate of inflation is certainly moving north here. So something to worry about. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about interest rates. We talked about monetary policy. And so uh, just to round that out, in our baseline, this is our collective view. I'm just going to lay it out. Tell me if you were all, we kind of talked about it, but we have four, we have the Fed ending QE, bond buying soon, next few weeks. We have them QTing, letting the, the quantitative tightening, let, let, letting their balance sheet run off beginning in June. Uh, we have the first rate hike quarter point, percentage point at the March meeting of the Federal Open Market Committee, the policy committee of the Fed. That's mid-March. And then they raise each quarter a quarter point. And they actually, we have that in our forecast in 2023. And and uh, first part of 2024, and they get the funds rate target, the key rate they control, up to two and a half percent by mid 2024, and that's the long run uh, equilibrium rate, so called R star. That's where things settle in. Okay, that's our baseline. Anyone think that we should change that? Should it be should we? And I don't think anyone would say make it less aggressive at this point, but uh, that's kind of where we are. Damien, is do you have a view on that or? Chris Ryan. Well, you already pinned me down on yeah. on my next oh, in the fifty bips <laughs> next say, 50 quarter bips forecast. And, so. Yeah, <laughs> and you, you're near term, so you don't want to go. You don't feel comfortable going beyond that. Uh, so in that, so historically, I've always thought we've been too aggressive in anticipating rate increases. Oh. This time around, I think maybe we're too slow because I feel like the inflation concern is real, and that is. It could be a lot qu quicker than we think, and probably will be. So, so fifty basis points in March, and maybe more rate hikes through the remaining. I'm definitely on the fence about March, but yeah. I feel like it could be. It's probably going to be a bit quicker yeah. through the summer. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. I think, in my mind's eye, it feels right that we've been in other cycles we're a little quick to. Uh, expect the Fed. Certainly, that was the case after the financial crisis. No yeah. doubt about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So, Ryan, Chris, are we, I guess, similar to what Damien? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, kind of the risks are to 
more rate increases more quickly than we have, you know, in our baseline view. Yeah, it makes makes sense. Okay. All right. I mean, they're they're in a bind in March. They can't win this one because if they raise by fifty, it looks like they're panicking. Right. They raise by twenty five, then market concerns they they're behind the curve even more. So March is just a no win situation for them. Unless they start telegraphing now, right? If yeah. They yeah, they could control the communication. Yeah. Right. Right. They still have time, right? We're a month away. So there's still plenty of room here for them to do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Let's turn to the 10 year treasury yield and let's talk about that. And uh, uh, Damon, do you, you want to give us a lay of the land on the 10 year? You know, where are we? Where, where we've been? I'm not really a lay of the land guy. I think Brian is better. Brian should do it. Okay. Yeah. Brian. Yeah. Where, where are we? I didn't you look see today. What, you see what he does? I told you. He just throws more work my way. Under the bus, Ryan. Yeah. Hey, do we really want Chris to do this, Ryan? <laughs> Damien's just got to be careful. Li- <laughs> Damien lives right down the street from me, so Jeez. I know where he lives. So uh, long-term interest rates, so the 10-year treasury yield has, has jumped recently. Um, uh, I don't know the exact increase off the top of my head, but uh, We've talked about this in past podcasts. When you break down or decompose the 10-year treasury yield into, into its three main components, so inflation expectations, this is market-based inflation expectations, uh, the uh, the expected path of the real short-term rate, and then something called the term premium, which is the extra compensation that investors need to hold long-term treasuries versus short-term ones. So when you break it down, the recent increase is mostly, almost entirely, because of an adjustment in the expected path of real short-term rates. And then that gets back to monetary policy, Fed signaling that we may have to be a little bit more aggressive uh, you know, to uh, curb inflation. So what's really driving both ends of the yield curve, the long end and the, and the short end, is monetary policy. Right. So the 10-year is treasury yield, kind of the benchmark interest rate, long-term interest rate, is sitting around two. Let's just use two, right. give or take. And that's up a lot. You know, it was, mm-hmm. I think it rose a tenth of a percent, 10, 12 basis points yesterday. That's a big, big move in the bond market. Uh, and of the, if you decompose it, the 2% inflation expectations are sitting just south of two, I think, like one and three quarters percent, I believe. And, and by the way, that's come down, right, mm-hmm. from where it was. I want to come back to that in a second. That means that real short-term interest rates plus the, sh- the term premium are still negative, right? Yeah, I mean, they are. They're still negative, which seems a, a little weird. There, so there's a lot of weird things in, in, in that decomposition. First weird thing is, why are inflation expectations going down? You know, And by the way, adding to the, my confusion, historically, and you've always, you're the one who pointed this out to me, Ryan, is that those market-based expectations uh, are closely tied to oil prices. So when oil mm-hmm. prices go up, you would have expected inflation expectations to go up. And we've always found that mysterious, but that is definitely true. I heard a, a really good bond guy yesterday when I was talking to those, that group of economists mentioning this anomaly. So, so what do you think is going on there? I mean, you know, why are inflation expectations and better in the bond market going down when everything's screaming that they should be going up? Do you have any, any idea? I, I'm, yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm confused um, by it. Does any Damien? Have a, Damien, you have any sense of that? No, it's really puzzling. I think it's an enduring puzzle. Like, 
inflation expectations in the long run haven't really moved at all. And that's the the numbers you're quoting are, I guess, the tips. Well, I was thinking five-year, five-year five year forward. Five-year, five-year forward. So, <laughs> yeah. And so the five-year, five-year forward is pulling out just the part of inflation expectations that look ahead five in five years' time, basically. And so I think some of that speaks to the the secular stagnation type argument that we have a temporary transitory bout of inflation that we need to address because we have an overheating economy where relative to where it needs to be today. But over the longer term, we still have the, all these other demographic and other factors that are, are slowing growth that will keep inflation pretty low. Yeah, that makes sense. I and mean, it's almost like what the bond market is saying, when I say bond market, investors who are putting their money where their mouth is. And five-year, five-year forwards, just to explain it again, you look at the 10-year yield and it's in inflation five years from now over the, that, the subsequent five-year period. So this is you know, abstracting from all this mess that we're in right now. It's in the long run, where will inflation be? And that has not moved up and has actually moved down. Could it be the case that bond, in, this is a signal uh, that bond investors think we're going to have a recession or some really tough economic times, you know, down the road? Because they're saying, okay, we got all this inflation now. And that's the reason to think that the Fed's going to step on the brakes really hard, misstep, misfire, push too hard and push us into recession, you know, somewhere down the road. Inflation is actually going to be lower than it is now. Is that well, you're, I reading way too much into, the, into that? I don't think so. Your, your favorite recession indicator, the yield curve, is flattening out. That's right, but it's not. It's not. It's not. You're, it's not you're negative. Right. Yeah. It's not negative. It's, it's not. Short rates it's, have not risen above long rates by a long shot, right? Mm -hmm. But you're saying that has flattened. Short rates have gotten closer to the long rates. So mm -hmm. that's a signal that bond market investors are thinking the economy is going to be weaker down the road. And then that would be consistent with the idea that inflation expectations are are tame and gone down. That they think the Fed. Well, the, the charitable interpretation is the Fed got control over this. They, they've got us. They got, the, they got our back on inflation. They're going to figure this out one way or the other. They're going to get their target. The non-charitable or less, uh, the more worrisome interpretation is that they're thinking they're going to step too hard and push us into some kind of really weak economy or even a recession down the road. Maybe, maybe that, that, that explanation squares the circle here. Does that make sense? At least the probability is higher, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have right. to be binary, right? If they just think that the odds are higher now. Yeah. That would. Yeah, just the odds are higher. That, that yeah. would. That would be that. sufficient. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, here's the other thing. It, you know, and this goes to the outlook for 10-year treasury yields. <clears throat> Inflation expectations are, they're not, you know, they, they are where they are. I, I don't think they go lower. You know, they're pretty consistent with where the Fed would want to see them. But to have the real short-term interest rate and the term premium negative, that doesn't make sense in the long run, right? In the context of everything we know, I think, I'm, that's, a, that's a statement. I'm curious what you, what you think about that. In terms of Fed policy, it feels like it, sh it shouldn't be negative real rates, should it? I mean, that should be moving higher. And in terms of the term premium, that's a compensation that investors get for investing long run versus short run. That shouldn't be negative, right? Should it? No. So shouldn't doesn't everything I just say argue for even higher long-term interest rates? Anyone higher than today? That? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be moving up. Yeah. Hey, yeah. So, 
any a, a conventional let, let me just jump in real quick on the yeah. term premium part so a con a conventional so we used to think before the financial crisis that the term premium was basically this pretty stable thing and it was always positive maybe around 100 basis points of spread between short-term rates and long-term rates over a business cycle where sort of the moves in the, in the different rates even out. And post-crisis, that term premium, by all estimates, went negative or at least went much lower than 100 basis points and it stayed very low and negative for over a decade. And one of the explanations for that, a very financy sort of explanation, is it's related to inflation risks. Yeah. And that right. when inflation risks dip towards the pessimistic side where inflation might become deflation, then it's actually good to hold treasuries and you'll be willing to accept a lower term premium or even a negative term premium because you're sort of going to receive a payoff in fixed nominal dollars that become more valuable if inflation underperforms. And so that that's one explanation. So that the balance of inflation risks are going to remain tilted towards the downside will keep mm. the t long-term treasury yields lower than they should be. Oh, now, I, I think, okay, sorry, go ahead. Now, there's another factor, which is we've had a big regulatory shift after the financial crisis that's created all this extra demand for treasury debt. And I'm sure that has to have some impact on where yields come out, where long-term yields come out relative to short-term yields. Yeah, so I thought you were going to say something a little bit different on inflation. Uh, my sense is that built into the term premium is a some compensation to investors for the volatility of inflation. And that post-financial crisis, Inflation was low and there was no volatility. You know, we weren't even thinking about it. But now, volatility is the name of the game. There's a, a lot of volatility. So you would think that would add to the term premium, right? And then on, the, on your point about treasury demand due to banks and other financial institutions needing liquid assets on the other side of the financial crisis, that you know that's that's in the market right that that can't be getting bigger can it i mean that would be getting smaller right so both those things you just said i think are well you said something a little bit different about inflation uh, the inflation uh part of the term term premium but everything seems to suggest that, that instead of being a drag on the term premium making it more negative it should be less of a drag and allowing it to go more positive yeah so the unfolding okay. like the latest sort of data where we have this idea that we're going to have this bout of inflation, that should be bringing the term premium up, and it's not, and that's a puzzle. It's a puzzle. Yeah. All right. Well, just uh, here I've got – we are running out of time, but I want to run one other thing by you, and this goes, again, to the, the forecast for long-term 10-year Treasury yields, long-term uh, interest rates. The way – so if you look at our forecast, we have the 10-year Treasury yield – rising in an orderly way over the course of the next two and a half years, similar to the increase in the funds rate. And we settle in, the 10-year yield settles in in the long run at 4%. So we're at two now, we double you know, over this period. Obviously, interest rates don't move in a straight line. They go up, down, they go all around, all over the place. So it's, this is not going to be straight from two to four, but that's where we're headed and that's where we're going to settle. And the anchor here has been at least my thinking is that 
in the long run, when the economy's at full employment, inflation's at target, we're growing at potential, the world is, you know, orderly in, in equilibrium, that the 10-year Treasury yield should equal the nominal potential GDP growth in the economy. And empirically, in the long run, that holds. You know, uh, if you go back 60 years and you say, what, what's nominal potential GDP growth? And you look at aver uh, the average of the 10-year Treasury yield, it is, I'll tell you, it goes to, it's equal to the basis point, 4.62%. They're exactly equal. So uh, that's kind of sort of where we have things going. Does that, does that framework about thinking about long-term interest rates and where the 10-year Treasury yield is headed, does that resonate with you? Does that make sense to you? Or so, so I think in what you're saying sort of very much lines up with sort of the natural rate models and the story yeah, in the exactly. natural rate models, natural, right? Natural that, rate model. yeah. that when growth is strong, interest rates should be strong, strong too. Growth is high, interest rates will be high. But then you look at the last decade of what the natural models predict, and there's a real sort of break in the linkage between growth and what the natural rate models are saying, that interest rates are so much lower than, than what the long-run growth outlook looks like. The long-run growth rate has come down since the Great Recession began, but not by as much as the natural rate has really come down. Okay, let me, let me say, agreed, there can be long periods of time when 10-year treasury yields do not equal nominal potential growth. So go back into the 70s and 80s when the last time we were suffering a wage price spiral, inflation was out of control. The Fed said, enough of this. Paul Volcker was chair of the Fed. He said, I'm going to crush this thing. And so you had interest rates that were above nominal potential growth, you know, as the Federal Reserve worked hard to get inflation, inflation expectations down. Flip of that is after the financial crisis, we were deleveraging. The banking system is has to capitalize, uh, has to gain liquidity, and that's a global event. That's not just a U.S. event. And uh, the central banks, the Fed, were working hard to get inflation back up. It was too low, so they kept interest rate. Everything interest rates were low. But the ten-year yield was consistently below nominal GDP growth. So, agreed, you can have long stretches of time when these things two don't things lined up, but in the, you know, the sufficiently long run that these things have to, you know, roughly, that these things roughly equal each other. And that's kind of the anchor in terms of, uh, you know, the, 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 what's uh, in our long-term forecast for long-term interest rates. Does, does that, does that resonate? I certainly, I certainly agree that growth rates should be a kind of core part of what your long run okay. view of, yeah. of long-term interest rates should be. And then there are some other factors like the relative sort of value, sort of safe haven value of the dollar relative to other currencies might Im have impacts on that over long term. Like some people think the dollar is going to lose its lose some of its value there and that would tend to sort of raise interest rates a little bit. But then there are countervailing factors that might go the other way. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we are at the end of the podcast, but before we end, we're going to go on the record. And by the way, I think in one of these early podcasts, we were talking about 10-year treasury yields and we were doing the same forecasting. And I think I was on the right side of this compared to like, well, Chris was in the middle. Ryan, you were, I was saying rates were going to be higher. You said they were going to be lower. Did I have that right? 
We got to no? go back and check. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, I was lower than you uh, and Chris. All right, you were, fair enough. You are definitely lower. But, <laughs> but, you, but we are definitely going to go back and check. For, you know, April <laughs> marks the one-year anniversary of our podcast. We'll go back and look. Oh, okay. So let's do the forecast. Okay. So you heard my forecast, right? Four. The mm-hmm. funds rate goes from zero to two and a half percent, kind of in an orderly way between now and mid-2024. The 10-year treasury yield goes from two to four percent, not in a nice orderly way, but you know, up and down and all around, but gets to four percent by mid-2024. Uh, so what do you guys think uh, in terms of that, uh, that outlook for interest rates? Anyone want to uh, take another side? I'll take the low. I think uh, oh, take the low. I right. think your uh, rule of thumb, where a ten year equals uh, nominal GDP, would, I think that applied fifty years ago. But times have changed; markets much more global. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I think it's going to be less than that, right? You have to. I think you'd average. I would average in say um, the uh, rates on buns, for example. As I a, see. As yeah, an that's example. reasonable. That's yeah. reasonable. So yeah. something south of that, maybe three. Let's go with three eight. Oh, geez. Right. All right. Three, <laughs> five, four, eight, <laughs> somewhere in there. Uh, talk about prices right. Uh, uh, but okay. Fair enough. Oh, that bit, you know, that's, that's a reasonable argument. Damien, any, any perspectives on that? On the, on the outlook? Are you, do you have a view? You Are we talking about the 10 year specifically? Uh, yeah. Or I have the funds rate at two and a half. That's our star equilibrium and 4% on the 10 year long run. So and long way, run for the no ten. Year. Fruit, I, I think it's low. I, I think it's still going to stay low. I think it's oh. going to stay under. I have hard time believing we're going to see ten year rate above three percent mm-hmm. anytime uh, soon. Okay. Wow. Very interesting. And part of that reason is like sovereign debt globally is massive, mm-hmm. and I think there's going to be a strong push to keep sovereign interest rates low without and manufacturing in a way that doesn't cause inflation to explode. Yeah. Okay. So I'll say 2% Fed funds rate, 3% 10 year. Okay. So you're in the Damien camp. Yeah. And I'll give you a non-trivial possibility that the Fed funds rates back down to zero by mid 2024. (laughs) I'm on on board with that actually. I mean, this is a boom bust cycle. Boom bust. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this last week or the week before, but yeah, you're right. That's definitely got a probability to it. Yeah. And then we'll never get the four. Jeez. Nope. Okay. All right. Well, we got a lot to think about. We're on the record again, so we'll see how this plays out. And Damien, we're going to have you back. Thank you for uh, participating. Uh, Very good of you. Uh, And um, guys, any any parting words? Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. We're going to, you know what? We didn't, I didn't hawk my uh, at Mark Sandy, did I? The Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Ryan, you're doing, you're tweeting a lot. I've noticed. So I've gone, a, I've gone down a rabbit hole. You pulled me into this rabbit hole. Well, you okay. got to be careful about that. I, you got to be very disciplined about not going into that rabbit hole too far. But uh, so I only do it. Like, I have like scheduled. You know, at the end of the workday, I'm like, all right, I'll put up, you know, two or three tweets. Yeah. See, I don't, I don't do it that often. That feels like too much to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if uh, you know. You're a young guy. You can do it. Not that young. Mm-mm. Yeah. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? At real time underscore econ. There you go. Okay. Thanks so much. Take care. We'll talk to you uh, soon. Bye bye.